Romans 15, we are getting very close to the end of this book. And as we walk through the Advent season, um, one of the questions I think we should naturally be asking is as, as we're talking about waiting and longing and the fact that Jesus came and that he will come again, I think a question we have to be asking is, so what does that mean for me in this interim? Does that mean I'm just kind of sitting on my hands waiting for that day that he will return? And the answer is no, God has specific work for you. God has created you with purpose. God has plans for you. And as we read today, I think we're going to see that Paul, in his life, not only recognized that fact, but he actualized that fact as well. This morning, would you join me? Romans 15. We're going to read kind of a long text this morning. Romans 15, beginning in verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus... I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to come to you. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. The word of the Lord. So today, as we near the end of our study of Romans, we get a peek into Paul's psyche And we get a glimpse into his future plans. And I want to approach today's text in two ways. One, I want us to kind of explore the missionary nature 
of Paul's apostolic work, the missionary nature of his life, because the New New Testament tells us a great deal about this. And I also want us to look at Paul's I guess you could say decision-making paradigm. I want us to kind of look at the lens through which he views his life and the world and his work, like what he's doing and where he would potentially go and share the gospel on his journey. So, So those two things, the missionary nature of what he's doing and then kind of the way he's approaching that on a personal level. So first, let me nerd out with you for a little bit, if that's okay, a quick history lesson. Uh, In the New Testament, if you have read the book of Acts, you know that the book of Acts is largely the story of the early church and how the gospel spread out from the city of Jerusalem. And in particular, the book of Acts, a great chunk of it is devoted to the missionary journeys of Paul. And I want to just kind of walk through these real quick. I've got some of these up on the screen. That's right. We're looking at maps today, guys. That's that's what's happening here. We're looking at maps. Here's why I like looking at maps. And I think this is great with our kids as well. To me, maps make this real. I think so often when we talk about the scriptures and we talk about the Holy Land, we talk about it as if it's some fairy tale land far away. But I mean, this is the Mediterranean Sea right here. This is Greece right over here. This is the boot of Italy. Like this is a place we know. Some of us have been to this part of the world before. So this is not some far away, distant, fairy tale-esque land. And I know you might not be able to see this super well, um, but Paul's very first missionary journey, and really all of them, began in the city of Antioch, which is this little dot over here on the right side of the screen. And you may notice that Jerusalem is down here. So Jerusalem is south of Antioch, and Antioch is, at this point in time, probably like the third largest city in the Roman Empire. So as Christianity spreads out of Jerusalem, it spreads north first to the city of Antioch, and Antioch is the first major Christian city outside of Jerusalem. And it's kind of confusing because there were a number of cities called Antioch at this point in time. And so the Bible mentions several different Antiochs, so it can become a little bit challenging. But this is Antioch in Syria, which was a major metropolitan area at that point in time. So this is where Paul kind of sets up shop. It's his base of operations And um, this is where he leaves on his first missionary journey. So he was not alone, as you may recall. He was not alone on this first journey, but he was accompanied by who? Do you remember? Barnabas. Barnabas is uh, Paul's associate. And their typical activity as they left, they first go to the island of Cyprus, and then they kind of go up into this area of Pamphylia and Asia Minor and Galatia. And they make not really a loop, but they kind of go up and then they come back um, sort of the way they came. And, And as they go, they're going into each of these towns. And what they're doing is they're going into the synagogues. They're going into the Jewish churches, basically, and they're preaching the gospel of Jesus. And so immediately, as you can imagine, there is conflict. Um, Everything that they're doing is controversial. Some people are coming to faith in Christ, but at the same time, like violence and imprisonment were always right around the corner for them. Like this is always the tension that they're dealing with. And so they get up here, kind of this one that's at the very top where it also says Antioch. That's a city that the scriptures refer to sometimes as Pisidian Antioch. They get up to Pisidian Antioch 
rock, and they are like rejected by the Jewish leaders in that city, even though some people have come to faith. And this is a pivotal moment in the life of Paul, because this is where Paul comes to realize that the Lord has called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Like, this is where he realizes we could spend the rest of our lives just trying to get into the synagogues and preach, and yet Gentiles, non-Jews, are coming out of the woodwork to hear this story of Christ. And so that's a major moment for them. They continue on. They eventually make their way back to where they started in Antioch in Syria just about a year later. So this is a pretty short journey. Paul's second missionary journey comes just a few years later in 51 AD. So, I mean, guys, we're only talking 12, 15, 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So just in a very short span of time, the gospel is going out. Uh, Paul's second missionary journey began in much the same way. It's Paul and Barnabas leaving from Antioch. They're going to revisit some of the cities where they've been, where the church has been planted, which meant a very different thing than, than it means today. Like planting a church then meant we are literally winning people to the Lord. We're literally converting people to Christ. We're trying to pour into them, not only with the truth of the gospel, but we're trying to disciple them. And then we're going, all right, peace out. Like we're moving to the next city. So it was a very quick thing that was happening. Paul's second missionary journey, they go trying to revisit some of these cities, but Paul and Barnabas have a falling out. We don't fully know what took place, but we know that they go their separate ways. Everybody still loves Jesus. Everybody's still a missionary for the gospel, but they decide that it would be better for them to travel separately. So uh, Barnabas goes back down to Cyprus uh, with somebody who was probably his cousin named John Mark, and Paul continues on with a new associate named Silas. And so Paul continues his journey, and you see this time he really does make just a gigantic loop. And so this wasn't a one-year journey, right? Paul was on the road traveling for at least four years, um, or three to four years at this point. And there's some, you know, like all kinds of famous things that happen during this missionary journey. One of those is Paul gets imprisoned uh, in Philippi, and It's that story where in the middle of the night they're singing and worshiping God in the prison and there's this great earthquake that comes and it shakes the whole place and the cells are flung open and everybody's chains fall off. It's this miraculous moment and the jailer kind of like comes to and realizes what's happened and takes his sword, begins to take his own life and Paul says, no, hey man, like we're we're all still here. We're all still sitting here in our cells and This guy is so blown away by what has happened. He comes to faith in Christ, and Paul winds up just being released. Like they learn he's a Roman citizen, and they just let him go. So just crazy stuff is going on. Um, From there, Paul goes to Athens, and we get this famous scene at Mars Hill in Athens where Paul is... Uh, kind of like sitting and teaching and speaking with the learned men of Athens. And you get this uh, famous moment where Paul says, I see you have all these gods around here, but I notice you also are so worried about upsetting the gods that you have statues to gods whose name you don't even know. Like just in the off chance that you might have missed somebody. So Paul says, like, and this is genius, he says, let me tell you who that unknown God is. Let me tell you who that God is that you don't know and you don't worship and you don't love and that God who you've forgotten. 
It's the one true God, the creator of all things, and through his son, Jesus Christ. We've not only been offered hope, but we've been offered new life. And we've been offered the opportunity to be children of God. And just incredible stuff. Paul ultimately makes his way back to Antioch. And then very quickly, the same year quite possibly that he gets back to Antioch, he leaves out again on his third missionary journey, which would probably be his longest missionary journey and also his most tumultuous as well. Paul's third journey took him to Galatia again. It took him to the city of Ephesus, these cities that he would ultimately write to, Corinth. And it is in Corinth where we believe he wrote the letter we've been studying for like eight months now. He wrote Romans in around 57 AD. Later, he goes to the city of Troas, which is kind of up here near the top. And it's in Troas where you get that famous scene where Paul's preaching in an upper room and he's going along and a guy falls asleep in the window and falls to his death from the window. And this miraculous moment where Paul revives him and he comes back to life. Paul continues on on this journey And near the end, he's received some money, as we read about in today's text. Some of the churches that he's encountered have uh, some resources, financial resources, that they're wanting to send back to the apostles in Jerusalem to kind of HQ. And so Paul's going, I've got to go back to Jerusalem. I've got to take these things back to them. And towards the end of his journey, that is where he is headed. He gets back to Jerusalem, though, and he's arrested, and he's put on trial, He appeals to Caesar because he is a Roman citizen, and so they put him on a boat and send him to Rome. So where we pick up today in our letter, that has not happened yet. Paul is nearing the end of this third missionary journey. He's going, I'm headed back to Jerusalem. And if you notice, he's super optimistic about going back to Jerusalem. He calls the church in Rome to pray for him that he, he talks about the unbelievers in Judea, that when I get back to Judea, that everything's going to go fine. I'm going to deliver what I need to deliver. And then I'm going to get on a boat and I'm going to come to Rome with all joy. He says like, the, so pray that this will go really well. It doesn't though. He gets back, he's rested, he's put on trial, he's put on a boat, he's sent to Rome, he's a prisoner, and what happens? He gets shipwrecked. The boat wrecks off the coast of an island called Malta, and Paul literally washes ashore on the island of Malta. So, why, why does all of this matter? Well, first of all, is, like, isn't this incredible? Like, isn't this an incredible story? All of this takes place in the span of about 10 years. So when you start thinking about the churches that we read about in the New Testament, it is literally in in a decade's span of time that most of those churches are planted. And it is largely the responsibility and the mantle of this one guy, the Apostle Paul, to go out into what people thought of at this time as the ends of the earth, right? I mean, just, just traveling from Jerusalem to Antioch took 15 days. Like, that was 300 miles. That was, that was like, it, like, for us, it would be driving to Dallas, but it seemed like so, so far away. It's incredible what the Lord did through this one man who was not sinless, 
right? Who was not perfect, who was not Jesus. He was just a guy who at one point had been a brutal, vicious opponent of the church. But his life had been so changed by the gospel of Jesus that he not only had given over like his intellectual thoughts and doubts and all those things to Christ, but he literally had given over the whole of his life to Jesus Christ. And this matters for us, I think, because it shows us what our lives could look like as well. I want to point out three things that I think marked Paul's ministry, and especially in this season, three things that marked Paul's ministry that I believe he's also calling us to manifest in our lives. We've seen this throughout the book of Romans. He's calling us to manifest these things in our lives as well as we in faith follow Jesus Christ. The first one would be boldness. We have seen his boldness throughout Romans, right? He is not afraid to tell people what he thinks. He's not afraid to share the truth of the gospel. He began the whole letter by saying that about himself, right? I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation, Think about that statement. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I know it's the power of God for salvation. If salvation is going to happen, it's going to be because of the gospel. And we have been sent with the gospel. We have been sent to declare the gospel, to demonstrate the gospel. Why would we not do that? Paul says, I'm not ashamed. Why in the world would I be ashamed about that? Like that is God's power to change lives. So Paul is incredibly bold with what he's doing. And he's so convinced of the truth of the gospel that he literally seems unconcerned about the conflict that would arise because of his work. And conflict is arising left and right. He's not trying to avoid it. He's not running away from it. He's not like dumbing down or watering down his message so that conflict might not pop up. Conflict is arising with everybody. It's arising with the Jews, it's rising with Roman authorities, it's happening all over the place. He put his body, his life, his livelihood on the line for Christ, the whole of himself. And his actions are an apologetic for the gospel, right? Because why would somebody do something like this for something they know is a lie? Like his life, his actions are a testimony to the validity and the truthfulness of who Christ is and what he has done for us. Why would you be stoned multiple times? Why would you be imprisoned multiple times? Why would you allow yourself to be given over and, and ultimately these terrible, you get shipwrecked and snake bit and all of these things that happen to him? Why in the world would you do that for something that you know is untrue? No, Paul believed with the whole of his heart that not only was this true, but it, it was God's power and that God had sent him in this great commission type way to proclaim this good news so that people might be saved, so they might be changed. So boldness, his boldness never goes away. Secondly, perseverance. And we talked about perseverance and patience and endurance and all that kind of stuff last week because he, he commends that to the church and says, listen, if there's anything that you need to model and manifest in your life, it's gotta be patience, right? Because Jesus has promised that this is gonna be a hard road. Like if you really wanna come after me, this is not gonna be easy. It's gonna be challenging. Most people are not going to be, do it. Uh, You're always going to be swimming upstream. 
So Paul says we have to embody and model patience. And what we talked about last week was the fact that that continued as a, as a, a virtue that the early church wrote about over and over again. Like we have to practice endurance because people are coming after our lives. People are coming after our families. People are wanting to destroy us. So we either capitulate and give in and turn ourselves over to the world or we turn ourselves over fully to Christ and endure. And press on. Paul says, that's what I'm up to. In another passage of scripture in the New Testament, he describes it as running a race. Which is hard. Right? When you're running a race, if you're running, I mean, depending on what kind of shape you're in, it could be a 5K, it could be a marathon for you, but there's some point in there where it's not fun. And you wish it was over. But the only way you get to the end is by enduring. So perseverance He's not getting rich. At times he even has to stop and like take up his trade, which is tent making, just so he can make ends meet and continue on on his journey. None of it deters him. He's not waiting for the situation to be perfect. He's not waiting for all the money to come in. He's not waiting for the right phone call. I'm like, none of that. He is pressing on. So Paul is bold. He's persevering. And then finally, Paul has great vision. He always seems to have a plan for where he's going next. Paul doesn't know what's going to transpire when he gets to each place. He, like he does, he's not a prophet. Like he doesn't see the future. But he has a very clear sense of where the Lord is leading him. And even when his plans are derailed or he gets shipwrecked, nothing changes about his work. Nothing changes about what he's doing. I've said this before, but Paul's often referred to as the greatest missionary the church has ever seen. And I contend that what makes him a great missionary is not just the fact that when we look at those maps, he went to all these different places. What makes him a great missionary is the fact that no matter where he was, no matter what his circumstances were, no matter where he found himself, he was on mission for Christ. So when he washes up on the island of Malta, you know what he does? Uh, he preaches the gospel. Right. By the way, you know what the predominant religion is on Malta today? Christianity. Almost 98% of that island claims to be Christian. Because a guy washed up there in like AD 58. Isn't that incredible? Look at verse 20 in our text. I've got it up here on the screen as well. Paul says, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. So Paul's paradigm is that he is intentionally seeking out places and peoples who have not heard and where there is not already like a missionary effort in place. Like he is literally striving to go to the ends of the earth. And even with Rome, like, Rome is not his final destination. Uh, he desires to go to Rome, but there's already a church in Rome, right? 
So, so he's, not, he's not saying, I hope to come to Rome so that I can share the gospel with you. No, that's already happening. That's already going on. As he looks to Rome, what he sees is a place where he can establish a base of operations. So the idea, and he mentions this several times, is that he would ultimately go to Spain, the Iberian Peninsula. That, like, that's where he's headed, to what we think of as like Western Europe today. And so he calls the people to pray for him. Look at this in verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, this is what we were talking about a minute ago, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Like, would you pray for me? Like, as I continue on this journey, as I strive to come to you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at Paul's life and compare it to my life, I cannot help but be challenged. And your tendency may be to think, well, but Paul's like a Bible figure. Paul's an apostle. I'm not an apostle. I'm not somebody written about in the scriptures. But Paul is just a man. Paul is not superhuman. And I think part of the intention here, and he, he talks about this as well, is that we would look at his life and that we would actually seek to emulate him as well. When I look at his life, I can't help but be challenged like because I go, do I, do I like believe the gospel as much as Paul believed the gospel? And like, am I willing to endure discomfort Am I willing to just lay down my preferences like we talked about a few weeks ago? Am I willing to endure hardship for the sake of the gospel? Am I willing to be so bold in my faith that I might actually like ruffle some feathers or create some kind of conflict? Because let's be real, most of us aren't even willing to endure an awkward conversation for the sake of the gospel. Much less come into a place that clearly does not believe Christ and boldly start proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, as was the case for Paul. So let's end this way today. What does, what does boldness and perseverance and vision look like for you? What does it look like in your life? Paul was fulfilling your, or his calling He was doing what the Lord had asked him to do. What is your calling? What has God called you to do? I'm not sure that God will call us to things in our lives that don't require a level of boldness and patience and vision. And I'm not sure that anything worthwhile or anything of real value doesn't require boldness and perseverance and vision. Think about your marriage. Think about your parenting. If those things are going to be healthy, if your relationships are going to thrive, it's going to take boldness. It's going to take perseverance with other people sometime. And it also takes some vision of, man, here's what we want this to be. Here's where we are right now. But, but here's what this could be down the road. If you rewind to Romans 12, Paul began that chapter by saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as what? A living sacrifice. 
Present your body, not just your mind, not just your job, but literally the whole of you. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. He says, this is worship. This is what real worship is. When you lay everything on the line, when you give God the whole of who you are. So even though in the book of Acts, we only see three explicit missionary journeys of Paul, a lot of scholars believe that there was actually a fourth missionary journey. So we know that Paul eventually makes it to Rome, even after the whole shipwreck situation, he eventually makes it to Rome. But many scholars believe that Paul, in fact, made it to Spain as well. The early church father, um, there's Romans 12, one, yeah, the early church father Clement of Alexandria wrote that Paul had gone to the extremity of the West. Um, so he would have been in Alexandria in Egypt as he was writing this, and his notion was that Paul had traveled as far west as you could go, which at that time would have been basically to the Atlantic. Look at this. This is John Chrysostom, a early church father writing in the fourth century. He wrote that for after he had been in Rome, he returned to Spain. But whether he came thence again in, into these parts, we know not. And then also Cyril of Jerusalem, who was also writing in the fourth century. This actually comes from a sermon he was preaching. Cyril says, Paul carried the earnestness of, of his preaching as far as Spain. So it seems the case that the early church believed that Paul had, in fact, made it to Spain and had shared the gospel there as well. And today with that in mind, like after everything that he had been through, after everything that he endured, the fact that he still pressed on towards his stated goal, even though we don't see it in the pages of Scripture, just the notion that Paul at no point said, you know what, I'm hanging it up, guys. At no point did he say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm getting kind of old. I, I can't keep this up. I'm retiring. But he just kept on. He just kept going. I think that's a beautiful image. And I think we should look to Paul's life and desire to be so bold. I think we should look to Paul's life and desire that same level of steadfastness and endurance. I'm not going to be deterred. I'm not going to be swayed. My situation, my circumstances, my financial level, none of those things are going to move me from what I believe the Lord has called me to do and to declare in my life, that we would have such vision for our lives, that we would have a sense of, man, here's how God's gifted me. Here's what God's called me to. Here's what that perhaps looks like in my life over the next year, five years, 10 years years. But Paul wasn't producing those qualities himself, right? He was looking to Christ. He's looking at Jesus. And you want to talk about boldness? You want to talk about perseverance? You want to talk about vision? Then let's talk about Jesus. Look at him. He is our true example. And Paul said, maybe if you like look at me and look at some of the things I'm doing, and Paul was very clear that he was not perfect that he had sins, he had issues. He's talked about that in Romans. Remember, sometimes I do things, I don't know why I do those things. But maybe if you look at me and see something good, you'll realize that what you're really seeing is Christ. It's not me, it's Jesus. And if you're ever inclined to say, yeah, but I'm no Jesus, look at Paul. 
Look at Paul. Jesus was perfect. Paul was not perfect. Paul was a man. He was a man made in God's image, changed by the gospel, filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's amazing what can truly happen when people made in God's image, equipped with his gospel, and filled with his Holy Spirit can do when they submit their bodies to Christ, when they submit the whole of their lives to him. It's amazing what God can do through us when we say, my life is yours, it's not mine. Paul did these things despite hardship, imprisonment, beatings, shipwrecks, trials, boldness, perseverance, vision. Oh, and along the way, just as an aside, he also wrote the bulk of the New Testament, like theological documents that have been read all over the world for millennia. What did you do last week? Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for the example of the life of Paul. We thank you for his boldness and his perseverance and his vision. We thank you that at no point did he throw in the towel. At no point did he hang it up. And and God, when I look at my life and compare it to the hardships that he experienced, man, I have had it so easy. And I think it's natural to ask, but have I had it easy because I've never really laid my life on the line in the way that he did. Father, would you awaken us this morning? Would you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to fully see your beauty? God, to see that you are worthy of everything we have, not just 10% of what we have, or not just one morning, once a week. God, that you're worthy of all of our all of our life, all of our stuff, all of the things that we hold so dear, would we be willing to sacrifice those things for you? One of the things we see today is that despite Paul's optimism about what the future would hold, that things might go well, God, we don't know what the future holds. He did not know what was to come. And what was to come was not fun. And the reality is the same thing could be true for us. And yet, God, what you have taught us through Christ is it's still more than worth it. Because you have called us not only to do your work and to proclaim and declare your gospel, God, you have called us to be your children, to dine at your table, to be your beloved sons and daughters, And that what we really deserve is death. What we really deserve is to be completely separated from you. Father, inspire us this morning by that truth. That we are alive, not just today, but we are alive eternally. Because you were willing to give your only son. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. We love you and we worship you. It's in your name. Amen.